From The Cut and Gimlet Media, this is The Cut on Tuesdays. I'm your host, Molly Fisher. Today on the show, we're taking a look at right-wing extremism and the ways that white nationalist ideology has found a foothold in mainstream culture. Right now, it's Monday evening. And normally, I wouldn't be recording the beginning of the show now. We had an introduction ready to go last week. But then, on Saturday morning, a man walked into the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh and killed 11 people. Afterward, he told one of the SWAT team officers who arrested him that he, quote, wanted all Jews to die and that they were, quote, committing genocide against his people. It was a horrifying act of domestic terrorism, and the story we'd prepared for this week took on a new kind of urgency. The man charged with the Tree of Life attack had spent the months leading up to the killings, posting anti-Semitic and anti-immigrant sentiments on a social networking site used by white supremacists. And then, also looking back over the past week, There's the Florida man charged with mailing 13 pipe bombs, whose racism and conspiracy theories first found their outlet online. How do people make their way to extremism? And now that we're so clearly seeing the ways hateful rhetoric translates to real-world violence, what can we say about the conditions that allow hate to take hold? Anna Silman, a senior culture writer at The Cut, has spent the last few months considering these questions. She's been working on a story about one person's path into right-wing extremism. This person was someone Anna had known for years, someone she used to admire. And back when they were in high school together, Anna never would have imagined she'd end up here. Her name is Faith Goldie, and Anna's going to tell you what she's learned about how Faith became what she is today. I met Faith Goldie when I was in seventh grade growing up in Toronto. I knew her all through high school. Everyone knew Faith. She was super popular and was voted school prefect. Back then, she was known for her progressive politics. She was an outspoken feminist and was even in a play celebrating gay rights. If I had to predict the future at the time, I would have said that Faith would maybe run for office one day or be some other kind of big public person, like a media figure on TV and radio. But I never thought I'd hear her on a show like this. Come on, let me on. That's the theme song of a neo-Nazi podcast Faith went on. In case you didn't catch it, the lyrics are, bring back right-wing death squads, fascists. She goes on a lot of these kinds of shows. Here's Faith on a white nationalist YouTube channel. These are people who are native to Europe, and they are being replaced within a single generation. Racist as a as a white or a European person is not a term you should ever subscribe to. It is a term of oppression and it is used to pathologize a very healthy and a natural instinct within people. And here she is talking about how dangerous trans people are. So hi, male rapist. Hello. Oh, you feel like a woman and you want to bunk up with some ladies and watch them go to the bathroom and shower with them? No problem because we care about you. And where women really belong. Yeah, I'm big into babies because I think it's the only way that the West is going to survive. Women are happier when they are essentially like barefoot and pregnant, let's be honest. Women are even happier when when they are frankly stay-at-home moms. A couple months ago, I went back to Toronto. I wanted to try and understand why a person like Faith would choose to go down this path. 
I talked to loads of people who knew Faith over the years, including over 20 of my former classmates. Everyone finds Faith despicable now and is horrified at what she has become. She wasn't invited to her 10-year high school reunion. And part of the reason they're so horrified is because they remember someone very, very different. In fact, pretty much everyone told me the same thing. In high school, she was lovely. Faith was hard to forget. Here's someone we'll call Claire. You know, she was a big personality, and she was very friendly. She'd, like, walk down the halls with, like, a huge smile on her face and, you know, her massive hair. She'd put tons of mousse in her hair and diffuse it. And Faith loved fake tanning. She was, like, bright orange for a majority of our high school experience. She wasn't the person who walked by you and pretended not to see you. She saw me. I was very depressed. And she was one of the people that made me realize that there were good people at the school. Um, I wanted to leave so, so badly. And Faith was one of the few people that, like, kept me at the school. Claire said Faith wasn't like the other popular girls at school. She was kind to people outside her social circle. And we heard this from a few people. She was so charismatic and so welcoming that I just always felt comfortable around her, no matter what. This is Corrine. She became friends with Faith when she was in fifth grade. She said Faith always went out of her way to make her feel included, even when no one else at school did. I am Egyptian, Middle Eastern descent. I identify strongly as being of an African background. Yeah, at the time, I would say I checked off the other box. Corrine was one of the few people at our school who checked that box. And she said she felt pretty isolated. It was just really a tone. I could just feel certain opportunities and certain conversations happening with girls who fit the bill more than they were happening with myself. It wasn't just the students. It was also the faculty. One of the few people she didn't feel that from? Faith Goldie. I felt a lot of racism in that school. And I never felt it from her. Not even a little bit. These memories of Faith, of her being kind and welcoming, were shared by almost everyone I talked to. But there were some classmates she showed a different face to. How did you feel, you know, finding out that Faith was like a full-on like white nationalist internet celebrity? It didn't shock me. This is someone we'll call Jennifer. I have always understood her to be a person who is capable of cruelty. She has always done what she needed to do to have power in every situation, from kindergarten to, like, today. Just, like, power. Jennifer's known Faith since they were little girls. She remembers the first time she saw the new version of Faith on screen. I was just, like, in my bed, in my room. I just opened this Facebook message from someone who had been a really good friend of mine from high school. Just panicked saying, like, have you seen this? There was the news footage of her in the Middle East where she was reporting, like, indignant, being like, that's right, folks. Like, I'm in the birthplace of Jesus and there are Muslims here. And, like, so into being like, they're literally praying behind me. And Muslim calls to prayer right over the Church of the Nativity, where Jesus was born. Day is fault, my friends. 
the internet lost its mind and like 5 million people were just screaming at her being like this just in there are muslims in the middle east like hot reporting from faith goldie and i was like well not everyone gets to watch their high school bully be like bullied by millions of people online <laughs> so there's that i've spoken to um a lot of people who remember her being really nice and who are kind of shocked that she could like espouse hatred or people who don't have negative memories of her or negative perceptions of her. Why do you think that is? She was so charismatic. And and because like I, she didn't do this to everyone, right? Like there was like a select few people that were targets for her. Um, I wasn't the only one. And those were the people who she focused on. And not everyone always knew what she was doing. Like, she was so calculated. Like, she had an intuitive understanding of what people wanted to see and gave that to them. I heard two competing narratives about Faith in high school. One about a nice girl who looked out for people, and one about a calculating manipulator. Neither of them shed light on what she's become. And even if she was mean in high school, most high school bullies don't grow up to be white nationalists. One of the many experts I talked to for this story, a guy named J.M. Berger, says that you can think of extremist ideas like a virus, a social contagion. And just like with a virus, you're more likely to catch it if you have a weakened immune system. One of the ways your immune system can be weakened is through a particular kind of trauma, one that destabilizes your worldview and leaves you looking for new answers. And Faith did go through something like that. It involved her mom, Julia. Julia was, she was one of the queens of my world, you know? She was one of my inspirations. This is Leah. She was good friends with Faith's mom, Julia. Leah told me that Julia and Faith were incredibly close. And she says they were both outspoken about being survivors of domestic abuse. She sent me this tape. It's Faith, back when she was still in school with me, before she was a white nationalist, talking about her dad on this radio show. For the record, we did not choose this music. My mom and I are both survivors of abuse. What was it like living in a house like that? I mean, it was scary. I wasn't given basically the same opportunities as the other kids my age. When their dad came home, everyone would go running, hey, daddy, how are you? But for me, it was... Kids, go to the bedroom, pretend you're asleep. Dad's coming home. You're listening to Faith tell us what it was like growing up as a child in a house with domestic violence. I was, I was just really proud of them to have that courage. And I thought, you know, they're going to be great fighters for equality. They're going to be great fighters for truth. In Faith's first year of college, her mom was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer. Religion had always been a part of Faith's life. But with her mom's illness, religion took on a new role in their lives. The whole family became much more devout, and they tried to treat her through prayer and natural healing. I knew that she was religious before. I just, she had developed a really strong fervor um, after that. Did the combination of that trauma and then the anxious quest for a greater power through your religion, did that somehow change her? When Faith was 24, her mom died. And over the course of her mom's long illness, Faith's perspective on the world had permanently shifted. To use J.M. Berger's metaphor, 
her immune system had been weakened. Of course, this by itself doesn't explain Faith's transformation. For the virus of extremism to take hold, you also need a willing host. And Faith was a very willing host. Good bit of the show. Well, they're all good bits, by the way. Uh, the return of token young person, Faith Godibazos. Uh, she's a conservative, devoutly Christian. But she rocks the casbah and is probably taking drugs and smashing police cars uh, at the weekend. How are you? I'm well, doing nothing of the sort. Going to church and reading the newspapers. Going to church and reading the newspapers. Yes, in that order. This is Faith in her first job as a conservative pundit. She was just out of college and she was working as a reporter and commentator on Sun News, the Fox News of Canada. If extremism is a virus, the other thing you need to catch it, besides a weakened immune system, is exposure. After Faith's mom died, her media career was just taking off, and she plunged headfirst into a landscape where the mainstream right and far right were quickly converging, and where social media was making online radicalization more and more common. In other words, a landscape rife with exposure to the virus of extremism. And Faith thrived there. Here's my old classmate, Corrine. There was an element to faith about doing things differently than everybody else. You know, in the States, there was there's an Ann Coulter and there's a Tommy Lauren or whatever. But in Canada specifically, that, like, all the people that were speaking this way, if any, were likely old white males, which is very expected. So to do the unexpected and to, you know, do the shock value, um, not surprising at all. Not surprising at all. I watched her chase sensationalism and chase notoriety. This is Jennifer again. It's like, well, she's never done anything halfway. Because she used to be so intensely left-wing in ways that were sensational. Like, so she, like, did her science project on different methods of birth control and, like, would go to the weed march and was, like, so open about her drug use and her sexual experience and like that was cool and like gave her social capital or whatever, right? In my uptight private school, a social science project on birth control was provocative. But as an adult, you need to find other ways to do that. And in liberal, multicultural Toronto, it's harder to find a bigger rebellion than becoming a white nationalist. The further right Faith went, the more attention she got. Yes, she was hated, but she was also building a fan base of diehards who couldn't get enough. She moved from The Sun to a site called The Rebel Media, Canada's version of Breitbart or even Infowars, an ugly jumble of Islamophobia and conspiracy theories. She quickly became one of the network's stars. When a white nationalist who had been mainlining far-right news sources such as rebel personality Gavin McInnes killed six worshippers at a Quebec mosque, Faith promoted a racist conspiracy theory, saying that it may have been a false flag operation. Well, just because the mainstream media refuses to dig any deeper doesn't mean that we at The Rebel will stop asking the tough questions. She made a video titled, White Genocide in Canada? Diversity might just be code for population replacement. She called for a new crusade. The only way that we're going to get Bethlehem back is if we launch the next crusade. And I think we should start with Bethlehem, because right now, like you said, 80% of the population is Muslim. And she warned about the feminizing dangers of a common food product. There's one ingredient baked into most of our foods that might be causing the uptick in girly men. Soy. In the end, though, Faith ended up being too radical, even for the rebel. 
Last year, she got fired after going down to the Unite the Right protest in Charlottesville and going on The Crypto Report, a podcast from the neo-Nazi website The Daily Stormer. You heard their theme song earlier. Although the rebel was openly peddling Islamophobia and anti-immigrant rhetoric, associating with neo-Nazis was too unsavory, even for them. So at that point, Faith had a choice. Pull back and try and regain some kind of mainstream legitimacy, or double down on her extremist path. She doubled down. And she found a community ready and willing to embrace her. Fans on Gab, a social media site popular with white supremacists, cheered on Faith as, quote, our girl. We've all been waiting for the return of Faith Goldie. This is Lauren Southern, another far-right YouTuber who used to work with Faith at The Rebel. You got fired. You went through the whole shit show. The media told you, like, Nazi, her life is over. But you're coming back. Where have you been the last month? She spent the next year on a victory lap of the ugliest places on the internet. Hanging out with Rouge V, a professional misogynist, fangirling over the Greek neo-Nazi party Golden Dawn, and reciting the 14 words, which is the most popular white supremacist slogan in the world. The audio is shitty, as it often is on alt-right YouTube channels. All right, do you want me to do it? Oh, you must yeah. have sure. the security of our people and a future for white children. Yeah. <laughs> Is that, is that controversial, though? Like, I don't see that, that that's controversial. So the 14 words, as they've become known, has just become shorthand for identifying as in that movement. Vegas Tenold is a reporter. He spent the past six years embedded with white supremacists in the U.S. People will just say, like, 14 words. You'll see a tattoo with 14, often with the number 88 afterwards, which is... Eight is the eighth letter of the alphabet. So 8-8 is H-H, Heil Hitler. So 1488 is, you know, I would say one of the most common ways of of identifying as a white supremacist, as a neo-Nazi. I've seen endless 1488 tattoos, endless 14 words tattoos. That appearance was in 2017, a decade after she graduated. And it, as much as anything, marks the moment that Faith's transition from the person I remember to the person she is today, was complete. I'd spent three months talking to old classmates and people who'd known Faith at different stages in her life. I spoke to reporters who'd followed her media career, as well as experts on extremism. But there was one person I hadn't spoken to. Faith. After the break, Anna finds Faith Goldie. Welcome back to The Cut on Tuesdays. Picking up where we left off, writer Anna Silman had gone to Toronto to talk to former classmates and colleagues about Faith Goldie. She was trying to connect the dots between the girl she'd known in high school and the voice she'd heard on the Daily Stormer podcast. But she still hadn't talked to Faith herself. When I started working on this story in the summer, I reached out to Faith. We exchanged emails a couple times, but then she went dark. Thankfully, she wasn't hard to find. She was in the middle of a failed campaign for mayor of Toronto, during which she racked up an endorsement from Congressman Steve King and did a photo op with Rudy Giuliani. I finally caught up with her while she was out canvassing. We met one of her supporters, who was in the process of hitting on her when we walked up. Are you going to tell me you're married after I've I'm engaged. Well, you just lost my support. I'm I'm, I'm only in this for the sex. Wow, well, at least you're honest. Who are you with? I'm with New York Magazine. I hate New York. I hate the East Coast and I hate the West Coast. I want them both to fall into the ocean. They're full of Democrats. 
Faith hadn't agreed to meet with me. I'd shown up out of the blue. But even if she had been avoiding me, she didn't show it. She acted as if we'd been planning this. Like when she launched into a long, somewhat bizarre soliloquy about how much she loved high school. Darling, they were the Gloria years. I was popular. I was in theater. I was in band. I was rowing team captain. I was swimming team captain. I had straight A's. I graduated with a 98% average. Teachers, by and large, love me. Students of all uh, popularity statuses, if you would love me, because I gave time to everyone. And if I saw so much as one little girl being bullied by another, you know this, Anna, I'd get in the middle. I've always longed to protect the flock and stare eyeball to eyeball with, with the wolves. As we talked, Faith gave me her version of her political trajectory. She told me her views after high school started to change as she became more religious. In college, she became pro-life. And from there, she got deeper into conservative politics. She told me the old joke, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you don't have a heart. And if you're not a conservative when you're old, you don't have a brain. Apparently 29 is old. But the more we talked, the more I realized how much she'd watered down the story of her transformation. She isn't just a liberal who's gotten more conservative. She's an extremist with toxic, dangerous views. The conversation I'm about to play happened two months ago. Even at the time, it was astounding how Faith denied any real-world consequences for her words. In fact, she denied the entire premise that there was anything extreme about her, no matter what facts to the contrary I brought up. You know, hearing you on uh, a podcast affiliated with The Daily Stormer, that really uh, threw me and upset me to, to hear you on a podcast where they're saying, bring back death squads, bring back gas chambers. Do you think we should bring back death squads and gas chambers? Of course not. That's a ridiculous thing to ask. And I'm sorry to hear that you were triggered by my appearance there. But as you well know, I was witness to the largest news story of the day. If Antifa would have asked me to come on a podcast, I would have done the same. Does it upset you that people who, like, really loved you are up hurt and upset by the things that you say? Darling, I'm trying to save my country. You, you talked about the 14 words and you said it, it's not a problem for me to say the 14 words. Uh, why, you know, why did you say them and what did you mean by them? I'm a journalist and I was performing a thought experiment. And does it bother you that knowing that you saying that would galvanize people who legitimately do want to kill Jews and do like, you know, like the 14 words is something that people know as a Nazi slogan. This is absurd. And correct me if I'm wrong. You're a woman of Jewish heritage. That's correct. So when you use the word Nazi, you, because of your heritage, ought to know better than to throw it around recklessly. The same way that I, as a person of Slavic European descent, don't throw around word like Stalinist because eight to 10 million of my people were starved to death by Moscow. So when I see someone that I disagree with, I don't just willy-nilly call them a Stalinist because those are some serious implications. And being someone who's well-read, not just on various histories, but my own people's history, I would not be so careless as to call just anyone such a vitriolic name. I, you know, I was just saying that you have associated with people that are openly Nazis and uh, you were on the Daily Stormers podcast. You, you know, recommended a book that called for the uh, extension of Jews. You use Nazi language like the Jewish question. I'm just wondering if, like, do you, do you apologize? Do you, do you feel bad that you've misled people then. Okay, so I don't think that you're understanding me quite clearly here. I talked to everyone that day. And, and look, when, when I was interviewed, they, were, they presented themselves as the crypto report. Have you ever heard of the crypto report? I have, yes. Okay, well, I hadn't. So, so forgive me, I, I don't hang out in the bowels of the internet. This was how the entire conversation went. The rhetorical equivalent of Faith saying over and over again, I'm rubber, you're glue. 
she goes on a neo-Nazi podcast, and somehow I'm the bigot. She recites white supremacist slogans, and yet she's a freedom fighter, and I'm the one expressing intolerance. Afterwards, I talked to my producer about how frustrating it was to talk to her. Um, you know, we're having this conversation, and she says, I'm sorry I triggered you. And, you know, that term is so condescending, and obviously it's, you know, it's used to mock liberals who are so sensitive, like, you know, trigger warnings on campus is like, oh, they can't even read books without, like, finding their material too upsetting. It's like, Faith, my, like... My family fucking died in Auschwitz. Like, like my grandma was an orphaned war refugee to England because her parents were deported and murdered by death squads. So when I hear a podcast where the theme song is glibly singing, they want to bring them back. No, I'm not triggered. I'm fucking mad. I talked to Vegas about how Faith ducks and dissembles and dodges. He says that's all a tactic. She appeals to people who get turned off by the rhetoric of the KKK or by the very overt sort of neo-Nazism of, of her cronies on the far right. She is what I suspect was the endgame of the alt-right the whole time, um, a vehicle by which to introduce the far right message into the mainstream. Slippery white nationalists like Faith walk a careful line. They don't openly advocate violence, and they claim to oppose bigotry. But in the past couple of years, it's clear how online extremism has bled into the real world. We've seen mass killings at synagogues, mosques, Sikh temples, and churches. No matter how much media figures like Faith try and hide it, their dehumanization of entire communities is fuel for people who commit horrific acts in the real world. Vegas says her approach is way more insidious than the Klansmen and neo-Nazis he reports on. At least they're just fucking racists. They don't try to hide it behind anything. Whereas Faith Goldie and Richard Spencer and all these other assholes try to legitimize it with like quasi-science bullshit. Um, and that's why they're successful. She's dangerous because she isn't overtly abhorrent. Extremism is a virus. It finds clever ways to evade detection, to evolve, shapeshift, spread. The new white supremacy doesn't wear a KKK hood or wave a swastika flag. I was thinking about this when I was talking to my old classmate, Corrine. She remembered Faith as someone who would never exclude people based on their race. Now, like pretty much everyone Faith grew up with, Corrine finds her views sickening. She talked about what it would be like if she ran into Faith on the street now. I think that if I ran into Faith on the street, that she would be perfectly kind. I think that her desire for people to like her, for people to follow her, for people to care mm. about her, for her to be significant, overwhelms anything else. And I think she would want somebody like me walking around being like, you know, I ran into Faith and she was lovely and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't so bad. That is what Faith and the people who see her as a vessel for their message want you to think. And so let me state for the record, I ran into Faith. She wasn't lovely. It was very bad. Last week, Faith lost the Toronto mayoral election. She came in third with 3.4% of the votes. During her campaign, Faith toned down her white nationalist rhetoric to try and appeal to the mainstream. But Toronto doesn't want her. And now, neither does the alt-right. After she lost, white supremacist Richard Spencer tweeted that she had betrayed the cause by diluting her platform to get votes. He wrote, I once thought she could be a bridge figure. I'm now convinced she's a bridge to nowhere. 
Faith is only useful to them when she's winning. For now, she finds herself ostracized from yet another community, left with the one thing she really believes in, herself. Soon after she lost the election, Faith changed her Twitter bio to next Prime Minister of Canada. That's it for this week's show. We'll see you next Tuesday. This episode of The Cut on Tuesdays was produced by Sarah McVie and Anna Silman. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler. We're edited by Stella Bugby, Nazneen Rafsanjani, and Alex Bloomberg, who had not previously heard the term soy boy. Music, sound design, and mixing are by Haley Shaw. Our theme song is Play It Right by Amelia Meath, Nick Sanborn, Molly Sarley, and Alexandra Sauzermanig. This episode was fact-checked by Matt Steeb. Special thanks to J.M. Berger, Vegas Tenold, and Jonathan Goldsby. The Cut on Tuesdays is a production of Gimlet Media and The Cut.